Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ted McElroy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you find your wins, have a better quality of life, and become the best leader you can be. Hey, have you subscribed to this podcast yet? Don't miss an episode. They're worth every single thing you paid for them, which is nothing because they're free. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Give us a rating and a review on your specific podcast player. This helps us with our podcast rankings and makes it easier for people to find us. And as always, please support those who help support us. On episode 102 of this podcast, Chris interviewed Justin Kwan, Michelle Andrews, and Richard Ruth. They pointed out that as a profession, we have done a great job of letting our patients know that myopia is not a big deal. If you can see 2020, there is no worry. It is the high myopes that are more dangerous. And as they said, that message is tragic. Any myopia has a higher risk of maculopathy, glaucoma, and earlier cataract development. In the MySight One Day clinical trials, only 4% of study participants who got ProClear One Days stayed stable in their myopia progression over the three-year period. That means you can confidently say parent by not going to a system geared to slow the myopia progression. There is a 96% chance your child's vision will get worse. This may take away some of the choice your child has in the future as to how they will correct their vision. Choice, not fear of the disease associations with myopia, is what best resonates with parents when it comes to myopia control for their children. And with Cooper Vision's MySight One Day, we now have an FDA-approved single-use contact lens to lessen the progression of myopia in our patients. Contact your Cooper Vision representative to find out more about MySight One Day contact lenses. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm Ted McRoy. Today, I have a wonderful guest with me, Miss Lisa Hiscock, who is my coach, uh, my actual fitness coach. And today, we're going to get into some stuff that's going to be really uncomfortable for a lot of people because you're thinking, yeah, I probably don't really want to do that kind of thing or, you know, some of these. And I, she's going to really just alleviate a lot of the thoughts you've had about it, uh, a lot of the soundtracks that play in our mind about why we can or why we can't do these sort of things, things that I went through as well. But um, I, I learned about Lisa first from surprise, surprise for all of you in the audience from a business accelerator thing that we were doing. She was our expert of the month that we had on and she served as the coach for my, uh, business coach there, Michael Hyatt. And I learned a ton about what she did and why she does it. And we're going to get into a lot of that today. So Lisa, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here today. Well, I'm excited to be here, Ted. Thanks so much for inviting me. This is a topic, by the way, I could talk about for hours. So you're going to have to corral the conversation. I think probably both of us are going to have this problem. So we'll see how it goes. So I just want to get sort of get started with it. Just tell me how you kind of got here. Your, your, your sort of your journey into the point to where you are right now. Yes. So I was a corporate girl for 15 to 20 years for a Fortune 100 company. I uh, was always in some kind of training, education, instructional design role. So I've always been a coach in some form or fashion, Uh, whether I was coaching uh, the leadership in that organization, whether I was coaching large groups, I was always coaching, training, creating, learning, all in a spirit of improvement, whether that be process improvement, return on investment, you know, bottom line improvement. And 
loved what I did. Love to see things improve and play a part in that and to see light bulbs go on for people and how to do things better in their jobs. Um, but it was in the automotive industry. And although I love driving a car, I'm not really a lover of cars. So in this same time, I uh, I had two babies. And as many parents can attest to, uh, I wanted some me time. I just, I needed some time to myself. Yeah. So I started exercising. I was I was never an exerciser growing up. I was not an athlete. I'm embarrassed to say. I I think my mom had some Jane Fonda videos. Do you remember those? I do. Remember when Jane Fonda? Yeah. So I think my I would watch my mom do some Jane Fonda videos and maybe I would join her for like five minutes. But that was really my, you know, my extent of exercise when I was younger. So so exercise did not come into my life until really I had kids. And I started to just crave some me time. It was purely selfish. And so long story short, Ted, I started walking and then that turned into jogging and then I started running. And then before I knew it, I I had this love of running that I never knew I had. In fact, I had a boyfriend in high school that was a cross country runner. And I thought that's the most idiotic sport I've ever seen. Like, why would someone run? Like I would go to his events and he, I would see him at the start and then they would run off into the woods or whatever. And then like, I don't know, an hour or so later, you'd see him come back and you'd clap for him. I thought, who does that? Anyway, so fast forward, and now I turn into a marathoner. So that led to strength training and all these other health pursuits as I was still working my corporate job. And the light bulb went on one day and I thought, okay, I love what I do. I love coaching. I love teaching. I love training. But I also love fitness. How can I combine the two? So left my corporate job, left the security that all that has, and started my own health and fitness business and applied my love of coaching and training and teaching and improvement to something that, uh, I mean, is, is to me just so impactful. And uh, I want to leave my, you know, my fingerprints on other people and their lives and their hopefully future generations, you know, much more than I could do in the automotive industry. So that's how I came to this and this business and what I do. So when you got into your journey of your own personal health, what were some of the things that you did really well with that? And what were some of the things that you did that weren't necessarily productive toward, I mean, you were working out, you were doing the exercises, but those things were actually taking away from your health. Hmm. Okay. Well, and you know, people can read my whole story if they want to go to my website, uh, more than a body.com. And maybe later we can talk about why I, I named it that. Um, so I said, I, I, I became a little bit obsessed with running. Like I just, I fell in love with running. I really did. It gave me the me time I craved as a, as a young mom and it was just easy. I put on my shoe, convenient, you know, that's one of the, the hallmarks of, um, of people who are consistent with exercise. They make it convenient. So it was convenient. I'd throw on my shoes, go out, go for a run. And I became, looking back now, Ted, obsessed with it. Um, I, I loved the uh, body composition that it was giving me at the time. 
you know, it allowed me to drop my baby weight. Um, our world is a bit obsessed with the external appearance of what, what we think health looks like. Right. And so, uh, honestly, I got sucked into that. Like a, a lot of people do and dropped my baby weight. I was, you know, looking leaner than I had ever really. Um, and too much of a good thing is not a good thing. And I was all cardio. I'll say mostly cardio, very little strength training. And it started to wreak havoc on thyroid, other hormones, sleep, mood, um, because it was it was too unbalanced. It was all about the getting my miles in. I was always registered for a race, a half marathon, a marathon. I started running ultra marathons. I mean, I was a little bit obsessed. And it was all about training for the next event. High cardio, high intensity cardio. I was running faster. Not a lot of time in the gym in terms of strength training. So uh, it, it wreaked havoc. And it needed to be a bit more balanced. And so I finally got smart and uh, started to, to shift that a little bit. Do you tend to throw yourself into a lot of things like that where you really just get like, um, this is it. This is, this is me now. I'm just, I'm part of it. Yeah. It, yeah. It, be, it, yes. It became my identity. I am a runner and I, I do approach a lot of things like that. You know, when I started this business, I'm like, well, I'm a business owner now. I, so let's, let's go, let's go all in. And, you know, and I love it. Right. Right. I'm not going to throw myself into something I don't love. But um, we need those checks and balances in life. We need other people maybe in our life, coaches, accountability partners, uh, somebody to say, whoa, hold on. Let me pull back the reins. Is this really what's good for you? Um, you know, and so luckily I had some, you know, people in my life, a, a doctor, one that said, um, what exactly are you doing for your exercise? Because while I support exercise, I'm not sure this is good for you. So yeah, I, I I tend to go full tilt, and I tell you what, the thing about exercise, Ted, like the running that I was doing, any kind of exercise really, it releases endorphins and serotonin and dopamine and all these like amazing feel good chemicals in your brain. Those are addicting. Yeah. Do you know what I'm? Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. Yeah. Those are addicting. And that can be a good thing, right? That can right. that can be a great thing. But again, I just took it a little too far. I I thought, "Oh, let me jog around the block. Ooh, that felt good. Let me do that two times. Now let me jog 2 miles. But now, ooh, maybe I could do a 5k, 10k." I mean, it just it just kept, you know, and there's nothing wrong with any of those events, let me just say. But it was all of that. Um, because it felt good. It felt good in my body. It felt good in my brain. Um, you just, sometimes you need those checks and balances in life though, to say, okay, are we balanced here? And that's where, not to toot my own horn, but that's where a coach can kind of help you navigate some of that. What's, what's appropriate and, and what's balanced. Right. And that's kind of what I, I was going to sort of lead into next was, you know, why even have a coach? It's not just about fitness. I mean, it's about all these other things we do too. I mean, you get coaches in all sorts of parts in your life. But the neat thing about having a coach is 
I'm kind of in this hairball of things that are going on and you are outside of that. You see what's kind of outside this swirling mess that's going on and you're able to, to give me some advice. Plus with you being an expert, you already have all your knowledge in order. So it's not like I'm having to try and figure it all out. You've already kind of figured it out. And that's one of the things that having a coach, yep. regardless of whatever stage of life it is, is so important to have. Uh, totally agree. I have a, a business coach. I have an accountability partner who's a good friend of mine. So she, we kind of coach each other in different ways. But, you know, the two reasons why people would really hire somebody like me when it comes to fitness coaching expertise and accountability. It really boils down to, if I look at all of my clients, why did they contact me? I mean, you might remember I have kind of an intake consultation, you know, when you're thinking about teaming up with me, we, we chat for about 20 minutes and inevitably I ask, well, why did you reach out to a coach? Why are you considering this? They'll say, I need to know what to do and how much of it and when, and I need somebody to make sure I'm doing it. Those are the those are the two main reasons you would hire some kind of a coach. I need expertise and I need accountability. You know the statistics on accountability are uh, are astounding. So you're sixty five percent more likely to follow through on a new habit if you have an accountability partner, which sounds great. That's amazing. Sixty five percent. I'll take those odds any day. You're ninety five percent more likely to follow through if you have a regular accountability appointment with someone. 95%. I'll take those odds. You're shaking your head. You've heard that before. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that accountability piece, especially when it comes to exercise, Ted is so important. It doesn't have to be a, a co a paid relationship, a coach. It certainly can help, you know, you and I, like I said, like, um, before I think we, we got started here. Um, when my clients check in for their workouts, my phone dings. And so, you know, you knowing that as one of my clients, knowing that anytime you finish a workout, I see it. Like, right. does that, is that, does that play into your get up and go some mornings, Ted, to know that someone else is looking and, and knowing? For me, I think it's probably more that it's, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm more of, worried about the once a month sit down that we have with you shaking your finger at yeah. me there probably I think more mm. or more importantly probably is is really the words of affirmation of wow you're doing a good job that's kind of what fuels me is to hear those kind of things and and it's it's kind of strange too I don't get as much out of that on a text message or like an email as I do when somebody just literally mm -hmm. tells me I mean, it's nice, but it's not like when somebody tells me I'm doing a good job. I mean, then I just want to do more of it. And that's, that's probably a, a really good thing to have with a coach. The other thing I see too, to talking about having accountability partners, having a coach is way better for me in working out than having an accountability partner. Because when, if I have an accountability partner, like I see in the gym this morning, those two guys I see every single time I'm in there together, I will spend more time talking and less time working out. If I work out by myself, uh, I will get in there and get it done and get it done right. And, you know, get back. 
Whereas if I've got somebody there with me, I'm going to chit chat. I'm going to take a little bit too much time between. I'm not going to hit my, uh, you know, you probably need to have a little bit of an aerobic load, even when you're doing strength training. And I'm not going to hit that because I'm going to constantly find yeah. myself dipping down in that lower range where I'm not getting the aerobic, you know, abilities that I need. So that's why yeah. coaching for me works better than working out with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You need the right accountability partner or coach or whatever you want to call it. You know, I say that the, the person that you, that you choose to, to hold you accountable needs to be somewhere between your, uh, you know, your, your best friend and your boss. Like you want somebody that's, uh, has your best interests in mind. It's not just a taskmaster, do this, do that. Let me check off your homework. And, you know, you said shake the finger. I don't shake a finger at you, Ted. Uh, I hope I don't. I'm... But you kind of want somebody that's going to hold you to your goals, but that's also, you know, can be empathetic and have your best interest in mind. So, you know, for those two guys at the gym, maybe they're not best suited. Like if they have their best interest in mind, they wouldn't stop and chit chat. They would just be there working out, you know, kind of encouraging each other, but it's not time to chit chat. They both would know this is the time to work out. You know, you, you some of my clients, they say, oh, well, my husband or my wife is going to be my accountability partner. And I challenge them because while you would think your significant other has your best interest in mind, certainly they do. They also will let you off the hook before anybody else would. So that's where yeah. kind of you, you want, you want somebody between your best friend, your partner in life and your boss who won't let you off the hook, right? So you right. need to find the right accountability source, whether that's a coach, whether that's a friend, a trainer at the gym, you know, maybe you, maybe you do invest in meeting someone at a certain time at the gym. Back before I did all virtual coaching, you know, I, I trained traditionally in a gym and most of my clients would say, you know, Lisa, the only reason I showed up today is because I knew you were waiting for me, you know? So the fact that, I was waiting for them at 5.30 a.m. and they did not want to, you know, leave me hanging at 5.30 a.m. Mm -hmm. They got out in the cold and got to the gym. So that's where, you know, that those are those are real examples of where accountability can help with the adherence of that exercise habit. Because, again, accountability is uh, it, it's a it's a tool that cannot be ignored when it comes to consistency of that exercise habit. Right. So you transitioned from being an in-person coach to being a virtual coach way before virtual was cool. Um, yes, before way before COVID. Thank goodness. Yeah. So why did you Thank make goodness. that change? Why, why, what was it that, that put you into that? deciding how to do that and why is virtual coaching it's not better um why is it a why is it a great resource because a lot of people don't understand you know they've mm. got to have you, you talked about this earlier somebody's got to have some, a taskmaster sometimes right there with them for others it's not but what's the benefit of the virtual coaching versus in-person coaching yeah so a couple of different benefits. You get all the expertise and accountability, like we just talked about. If somebody's going to hire a trainer at the gym, again, they want expertise and they want accountability. What do I do? And make sure that I do it. You get, you get that with a virtual coach. You get the expertise. As you know, I create custom programs. Like your program is your program, Ted, like it's nobody else's. So you get the expertise of what you should be doing for you. And you get the accountability in a different form. I'm not meeting you. 
and but it's it's way more affordable for many people uh, than than hiring a gym a trainer at the gym and meeting them three times a week. It's way more convenient. Right. We don't have to meet Monday, Wednesday, Friday at five thirty a.m. Um, so way more affordability, uh, way more convenient. And what I have found is that the adherence rates for exercise with my virtual clients way better than with my in-person, even though I just gave that example of somebody saying, Oh, I only showed up to meet you because I knew you were here. They would still cancel on me. And, and so uh, with a virtual coach, I don't, I create your program. I don't care when you do it. You could do it in the morning. You could do it in the afternoon. As long as you're doing it, I don't, it, it doesn't matter. You don't have to meet me. So, um, again, it's all the expertise. It's all the accountability that you would expect from a traditional personal trainer with way more affordability and convenience. Thus, um, you know, the adherence rate typically is higher with my virtual coaching clients. And, you know, you asked, why did you, why did you transition? Honestly, at the end of the day, Ted, I wanted to impact more people. I wanted to affect more people. And being a personal trainer in a gym, you can only, there's only one of me. I can only meet so many people at 5.30 a.m., five days, seven days a week, whatever it is. And, and quite honestly, it plays better in, in my lifestyle and the lifestyle that I wanted to have. So that's a little selfish reason, but it was one of the reasons. You know, again, I, I, you know, I was meeting clients before or after work, right? So 5.30 a.m. I'm at the gym and then I'm back there at 5.30 p.m. meeting clients. Um, teaching some class, I taught some classes as well in between. So I'd, you know, but then I'd go home and have to go back and the whole logistical thing. And I thought, okay, there's got to be a way that I can impact more people and not be at the gym 24 seven. So um, virtual coaching has been, it's just, thank goodness, I found it way before I needed to, because it's, it's a blessing. I mean, Ted, you and I would never know each other if it weren't for virtual coaching. Right. So when somebody's getting ready to start to get into the, their health and fitness, I mean, what, what are some of the goals that you tend to hear? And when you're talking about goals, what are the ones that you've seen that have been more successful and what are those have been, well, they just didn't quite work out. Hmm. Yeah. Since I do custom, you know, coaching, gosh, every, everybody's, you know, got somewhat different goals. However, at the end of the day, most of my clients who come to me have some kind of weight loss goal, body composition goal. That seems to be the, the, you know, the, the common denominator with most of my clients and nothing wrong with that. I, I mean, I love a good body composition goal. I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute, but nothing wrong with a weight loss goal. Um, you know, we all want to feel good in our skin. And that's wonderful. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a good goal. But what I really try to do is to help my clients see beyond that. Because many of my clients come to me with, some of them, decades of just chasing this ideal body, whether it be body weights or what size they wear. And I mentioned earlier, you know, the name of my company is More Than a Body. And my philosophy behind that is our health is so much more than what we see on the outside, what the scale tells us we weigh, what we see in the mirror. Uh, 
our weight is a very poor indication of our health. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there comes a point where our body weight does impact our health. Um, but our health is so much more than that. So, you know, to, to come to me with a body weight loss goal, pretty common and, um, valid, but I want my clients to see beyond that. I want them to, to understand, well, okay, great. Let's work on that. But what then will living in a smaller body allow you to do in life? Like, let's get to that. Let's talk about that. You know, this idea of I want to lose weight or I want to look like this at my high school reunion or I want to, you know, get ready for my beach vacation. I want the 90 days to my beach body or 21 days to my beach body or all these crazy things that you hear. You know, okay, well, what happens after that? What happens after your high school reunion or your beach vacation? Like, you know, then what? Are we building habits that are going to serve your health or is this just a short-term thing? So I really try to get my clients to see beyond that. Ex- that's an extrinsic motivator. Like, what do my high school friends think of me? What do the people at the beach think of me? What, you know, those are all external motivators. And what research tells us about that, those external motivators, those short-term kind of, mm-hmm. you know, outward goals are great for getting us started. That's what research tells us about what's called extrinsic motivation. Like they're great for lighting a fire under us. We got a beach vacation. Holy cow. It is, it's crunch time. Let's go. Turn on the heat. They're not very good. Yes. They're not very good or reliable for long-term sustainability of that habit, whether it comes to, you know, eating habits or exercise habits or whatever. What we need to dive into and what I help my, hopefully help my clients see at some point is What's the intrinsic motivator? Like why other than what your body looks like or what you weigh on the scale? And quite honestly, body body weight loss, especially as we get older, Ted, um, is uh, harder to come by. We have to be more patient. It doesn't drop off like it used to in our 20s. And so when we're being patient, what's going to sustain that behavior? What's going to cause us not to throw in the towel when we're not getting the results as quickly as we desire? It's that intrinsic motivation. And so that's when, you know, uh, that's when I see my clients explode when it comes to their exercise habits, when they can really tap into the the why that's deeper than I just want to lose weight. And I mean, you have a great one, Ted. Tell everyone why, why do you show up at 5 a.m. at the gym? So one thing, I'll, I'll give you a tiny bit of background first. My family has an ability to live a long time, um, you know, and, and sometimes not in the best ways either. Um, my great grandfather, Hmm. um, Hmm. passed away when he was 81 with some pretty nasty diabetes. Of course that was, you know, a billion years ago when the medications weren't so great, but let's face it, medication shouldn't fix everything. We should fix some things on our own. My father has diabetes. All three of his sisters have diabetes. Let's face it that things don't look so great for me, you know, but yet they're still getting into their, I mean, my dad's older sister, who's the oldest of the, of the siblings, she's 84. My dad is 81, you know, and they both have, like I said, have diabetes. And I started looking at how my parents and, you know, how they're doing. My, my mom's side of the family is just as good. I mean, they, my grandmother died at 96 and, 
you know, my mom is 80 now and oof, everybody just found out how old my mother is. I hope she, nobody I know listens to anyway, but <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, they've, they've really lived a long time, but I want to live well too. And, and the, the tagline I put on that mm-hmm. was I want to be able to pick up my great grandchildren. Um, yeah, I heard one time someone say that probably the best predictor of success in life as you get older is the ability to easily get up and down out of a chair or be able to up and down or yeah. walk up and down stairs. And Lisa, you and I have talked about how important it is for me to do squats. Um, for me, that's kind of why I'll, that's, that's the underlying thing. I mean, I feel better when I do it. I tend to stay in better shape when I do it. But for me, once I can no longer just get up off the floor or get out of a chair or walk up and down stairs anymore, suddenly I'm way limited in what my life's going to be like in the future and what I can do. And if if I can't bend down and pick up a two-year-old and stand up, then I'm, it's going to be much fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that's your, that's your intrinsic motive motivator right there. It's not about, Oh, how much am I squatting? What am I, I mean, it is, we look at your statistics, right? Like, are we getting stronger? We, we want to look at the numbers of that. Am I lifting more? Is the volume going up of my training? Like that's all important. But at the end of the day, if it's not serving you in your life and, uh, and you see beyond how it serves you just from a strength perspective, but what does it afford you in life now and into the future? That's when, I mean, that's, that's when, that's when it becomes not just something that you have to check off in the day, but it's part of who you are. Like, like you're going to move your body because that's how you, that's how you want to live. You, you, you know, you, you want to, you, you see yourself in the future, lifting up your great grandchildren, playing with your great grandchildren, not being the grandpa that's, you know, in a rocking chair that has to, you know, whatever, need help getting out of the chair. Right. Um, but that, I mean, that's, that's where the, that's where the light bulbs go on is when you can tap into that intrinsic motivator, you know, um, that I said that external motivator, you know, looking good at your high school reunion, that certainly can light the fire, get you going. That intrinsic motivator, what studies tell us, it it impacts not only the start, like let me let me start something, a new habit, a new exercise program, but it impacts the uh, the adherence, the consistency, the intensity, the duration. It impacts so many other things other than just getting you started. So the fact that you have your great grand grandkids in, in your brain, you know, is helping you show up at the gym, whether you know it or not. I want to go back to the, um, getting ready for the class reunion thing. I heard somebody recently say, why is it that we spend months and weeks trying to get ourselves in shape for people who we hated and hated us? And yet we don't do it for the people who are around (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Golly, that's so true. Who are we? Yeah. Who are we trying to impress? I mean, and why? I I mean, I, I get it. And, and here's the thing. I mean, our, in my industry, the health and fitness industry worth $66 billion, by the way, and growing. Um, There's so many images of, you know, before and afters and 
21 days to your beach body. I mean, it's just what we see all the time. And so there's just, there's still this thought that permeates my business of what health looks like. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just constant messaging that we get and we think, oh, to be worthy, to be of other people's attention or admiration. I must look like this. I don't know what that is. It drives me nuts. Here, I mean, here's the thing, $66 billion, the health and industry, health and fitness industry is worth about 66 billion. Yet the obese, obesity rates are an all-time high. One in three are obese, not just overweight, obese. One in three adults are obese. The scary thing is, is that's trickling down into adolescence as well. We're seeing adolescent obesity in higher rates than we ever have been. Yet the industry is worth $66 billion. Clearly something's amiss. It's not a lack of knowledge or resources of what, you know, what to do to be healthy. It's, it's, it's a lack of implementation, you know? And so you and I, we can talk about, we talked about accountability, you know, what, what do we do? We all know that we should be moving our body. We all know that we, sh- you know, the kinds of foods that we should eat and not eat. Why don't we do it? Some of the things we talked about already, you know, maybe we haven't tapped into that internal, like, why, other than, oh, I want to look good for my reunion. But mm-hmm. these are just some staggering um, statistics that, you know, make me excited to do what I do because I want to impact these numbers. So let's talk a little bit about food for a moment um, in the context of, and we're going to make this real personal um, for me at least. Um, So back last year, we talked about this somewhere around, I think August, but I just like everybody else at the beginning of the year, one of the things that's a motivator to try and do things a little bit more is what happened at the end of the year. There was Thanksgiving there was Christmas and there was New Year's and those right. involved a lot of stuff right. I probably shouldn't have put into my body, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and okay, we all get a chance to cheat. That's okay. It's not a big deal. So you go through this January period of cleansing or whatever you want to call it and you get yourself down into a better shape and you've pretty much lost all of that holiday weight by April, which I did, you know, and then for some reason, I have no idea what happened. I started seeing my weight just start ballooning up. Um, I was going from, I, I gained at least 10 pounds um, just in a period of, and you know, I was doing a little bit of traveling, but nothing more than I had in the past. And my workouts, you told me, you said, well, it's not your working out, you, you know, so uh, it's got to be, well, actually, here's how it went. This is how it really, how I remember how it went. Ted, I'd like you to download my fitness pal app. And I went, oh, come on, Lisa. I don't want to have to start tracking my food. <laughs> Isn't there some other way we can do this? And you said, just do it for a couple of weeks, just a couple of weeks. That's all. And I'm going to try and not blow this out of proportion as much as I can. But I think in three weeks, I'd lost five pounds. And I really didn't change what I was eating. I changed how much I was eating. I was literally weighing everything out. And, um, you know, and and now I'm down to the lowest weight. I I don't think I've weighed this much since I was probably in high school. Um, you know, I'm in better shape than I was in high school. It's the worst part about it. Um, you know, but, but, you know, we, you know, we, we put all this emphasis and I'll just work off. I'll work out so I can eat. Is that a Mm -mm. good philosophy? Mm -mm. 
<laughs> no, it is not. Emphatically, no. We, we, um, and quite honestly, Ted, so I'm a certified personal trainer. Maybe I should have said that at the beginning. Maybe it was assumed. I'm also a certified health coach, which goes beyond just exercise. And I'm also certified in behavior change psychology. And I also have a nutrition certification, nutrition coaching certification. So I have all these things. I, I love learning. I could just go to school forever and just learn because I love learning. Anyway, so I thought, well, I love learning. Let me get certified in all these things. So, um, what I, so I started as a, as a traditional personal trainer. And what struck me when I was still training people in the gym, people would show up on a Monday morning and they would say, Lisa, give it to me this morning. Like, work me hard this morning. And what they wanted to do was work off all the sins from the weekend. I drank too much. I, you know, overindulged. We went out, you know, whatever. Work me hard. And that just struck me. I thought, okay, first of all, they're using exercise as a punishment. That's how they're viewing exercise. Like Lisa, I don't, I don't want to, I want to, I want to crawl to my car when you're done with me. I mean, this is what people would say. And I thought something's wrong with this. Like they're viewing exercise as punishment and they think if only in my 45 minute session with them, we could work off all the, all the intake of the weekend. If only that were true. It's not, it's not, we just, the, the numbers don't add up. And so um, I, that's why I went and, and got some additional certifications because I thought, okay, I need to, I need to help people sort through like, why do they do things the way they do? And so that's why I, I dove into like behavior change psychology and, and health coaching and all the rest. Cause I thought, okay, yeah, I can give you, you know, big biceps. I know how to do that. I know how to strengthen your quads or whatever you want to do or run longer or lift heavier. But, uh, there's so much more to this that people need to look into other than how do I work out? So anyway, that's, that's what got me down that, that path. But um, yeah, we cannot out exercise a poor diet. Sorry, don't shoot the messenger. We just can't. So you're, you're tracking on my fitness pal. Um, nobody likes to track their food. Rarely do people say, Oh, Thank goodness. I love to track my food. Let me do that. So my intent, when I suggest that to a client, you know, as an, and it's one of many options, um, all with the, all with the intent of having more awareness of what we're putting in our body, not just how much, but what is the macronutrient breakdown? Are we getting enough protein? Are we, especially that's the, that's the be all end all macronutrient. Um, but so the, the intent is never to do this forever, but there does come a point in people's health journey, especially if weight is part of the conversation, that we need to look at what's coming in and not in a judgmental way, not in a, uh-oh, you know, shame on you kind of a way. None of that. It's just data. It's data then that we can mine to see what are what are we taking in and is is it suiting our goals? And if not, then we have data. We're not guessing. Then we have data that we can look at and say, how about we tweak this? Ted, how about we take your protein up slightly and bring that, you know, carbohydrate intake down slightly? Why don't we swap out, you know, your daily, I'm not saying this is what's on your food log, but let's say, you know, you have a sandwich every day for lunch. 
why don't we add a little bit more protein to that sandwich and take off one slice of bread? Let's make it an open face, a little bit more protein, a little bit less carbs, and let's see what that does. So the data can help us, you know, figure out instead of just guessing, let's let's figure out what we need to do, what levers we need to pull in order to help you march towards your goals. So um yeah, when I have a client like you who's willing to at least for a couple of weeks, now you've been doing it for a little while, but you know, at least let's look at your food logs and let's yeah. let's see what's going on. Yeah, for me it was like eight I started in August. I told you I think that I really can't get off this train and you said, Well, yeah, you can. I said, No. Look, this is another one of my accountability <laughs> partners. Yeah, so um, tell me you why. Know, you you yeah, it's an accountability thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I, I can look at it and see it, I, I will, I, I promise you, if I don't do this, what will happen is my portion sizes will start creeping up again and getting larger and larger. And mm. I won't really pay attention to it. And then I'll think, God, why my pants not fit right? What's going on with this? This is strange. This is kind of weird. Hey, Lisa, I, I, why am I gaining weight? And you'll have to remind me again. And we'll have to go through this whole thing all over. Again. Yeah. And here's the thing about trackers. They're not a hundred percent accurate. No. You know, they're they're not. And how you process calories, Ted, and how I process calories can be different based on our body composition, how much how much muscle mass we have, our gender, our age, our other hormones, our thyroid. There's so many things that impact we just think calories in, calories out. No, it's energy in energy out. And so how you use energy and burn energy can be different than how I do. So the trackers allow us, they give us some guardrails that give us some idea, they're not 100% accurate. So, you know, I have some clients that get so frustrated because they're like, Lisa, the numbers say this, but it's not having this effect. Well, there might be some other things at play. But, you know, food tracking is just one tool. It's, you know, it's, it's, it at least gives us a, a ballpark figure of where we're at. Um, I was going to say something else about that. Uh, Oh, and, and just tracking, and you spoke to this, at least, even if it's not 100% accurate, calorie in, you know, equals calorie in, it at least provides us mindfulness. And because you're tracking your food, Ted, you might stop and think before you just grab a little handful of this or a little nibble of this. Because in the back of your head somewhere, you're thinking, I got to track that. I got to track the, I mean, you and I have grown kids, but like, you know, some of my younger clients are like, I didn't realize how when I made my kids lunch for school and they don't eat the crust on their sandwiches that I would make their PB and J and I would cut the crust and every morning I was eating the crust. I mean, it's not going to add up to a whole lot, but when they started tracking, they were like, oh my gosh, how do I track crust off of a peanut butter and jelly? And so they might not eat it because they don't want to track it. And so it just brings this mindfulness of what do I put in my mouth? Is this serving my goal? Am I really hungry right now? Or is this more of a habit? So knowing that you have to either log it in a log or use an app like MyFitnessPal or just, I have some clients, the app that I use with my clients allows um, you to take pictures of your food. If you don't want to track all the data, but you just want me to see picture wise, that's a form of, of tracking. All of that brings mindfulness to eating. And that is what most of us need. We, 
you know, so many of us eat in front of the TV, the computer while we're working. And before we know it, we're like, did I just, did I just eat that? Like who ate that? Who came in and ate that whole bag of chips? Was that me? Well, because we didn't pay any attention. So tracking in any form brings awareness to what we bring into our body. Yeah. And and I'll have to say there have been moments since I've been doing this since August where I looked at something that I normally would just picked up and put in my mouth and eaten. And I'm sitting there thinking, is that really journal worthy? Am I, am I, do I want to go through the trouble of trying to look this up to find the, you know, the <laughs> right. particular thing in there and go through all the trouble for, you know, whatever amount of calories it really is or isn't, doesn't really matter. It's just the fact that I don't want to go through the trouble of just putting it in there. So I'm just not going to eat it because I, it's not worth my time. Right. Yep. Yeah. So it, again, yeah, you're proving my point that it's, it's an awareness. It's, am, am I really hungry or is this a habit or am I just eating? Cause it smells good. Like it, it does this belong in my body right now. So it just, you know, either consciously or unconsciously kind of takes us through those line of questions when we know that we have to somehow mark market, we have to track it. We have to tell somebody about it. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, food side of the weight loss equation cannot be, you know, overstated. We can't exercise off a bad diet, like we already said. And just from a health perspective, I think everyone, it would benefit everyone to do some kind of tracking, not just for a, how many calories am I eating perspective, but just from an overall nutrition perspective. Right. Um, you know, so many people who struggle with weight loss, they, they say, Oh, I just, I have so many cravings and I'm, I'm hungry all the time. Like I can't imagine eating less because I'm just constantly hungry. And the first thing that goes off in my head when I hear that is they're probably not nourishing their body. They're not getting the macro and micronutrients that their cells need to calm down those hunger hormones to you know, I have some clients who say, well, every day at two o'clock I crash and I hit the vending machine because I need something to keep me going. That's, that's a clear indication that your body is not getting the nourishment that it needs. Your cells don't have the energy that they need. Your mind doesn't have the energy that it needs. And that comes from food. Our cells are made up of the food that we take in. And so doing some kind of tracking or logging, not just from a calorie weight loss perspective, but from a nourishment perspective, are we nourishing our body? Are we fueling our workouts? Right. You know, you and I, Ted, have talked about the importance of protein. If you're in the gym at 5 a.m. doing strength training, we have got to help those muscles repair and rebuild stronger with protein. Are you getting enough? I don't know, unless you track it or tell me, and then we might know. People are getting way less protein than, than they need way less protein. The, the, you know, governmental recommendations for protein intake, 0.8, you can, you can do the, people can do the math, 0.8 grams per of protein per kilogram of body weight. That's what is recommended. That's to prevent deficiencies. Right. That's to prevent you being deficient in protein. That is not optimal, especially if you're doing strength training. I'm going on a soapbox here, but you know, it makes me a little mad when we hear government recommendations and that's not to live an optimal life at all. Yeah. So, and we also know that all the food pyramids were made by the uh, people who are making it. So I, 
I get that too, you know, so that part of it. When I want to spend just yeah. a little bit of time here toward the end talking about, because people tend to get zoned in, oh, I'm just going to do cardio or I'm just going to do strength. And why is it important yeah. that you do both yeah, yeah. and you balance it in the right way? Yeah. Yeah. So, so talking about government recommendations, I, I do, I do tend to support their exercise recommendations because I think this is a good starting point for everybody. So um, a good starting point and a good maintenance point. Um, if you look at your week, you should get a little bit of both cardio and strength, about a hundred, 150 minutes of total cardio minutes per week. You break that out. That's, you know, five 30 minute sessions. You can do them in as little as 10 minute increments. So if you take that 100 to 150 minutes a week of cardio exercise, when I say cardio exercise, we're talking about getting your heart rate up. Uh, it doesn't have to be crazy high. You don't have to be an ultra marathoner. We're talking about if you use the talk test, the talk test is a very reliable test to know if you're working hard enough in your cardio to have some kind of car, uh, cardio respiratory benefits fitness gains. So if you were walking with someone or doing some kind of cardio with a partner, you could still carry on a conversation with them, albeit a bit winded. You're in a good zone. That's going to correlate to the heart rate zone that you need to be in to have some fitness adaptation. Okay. So 150 minutes of that. So that's not just walking your dog and they're stopping to do their business and you're chatting with your neighbor. This means you're walking with a friend. You could still carry on a conversation. It's a bit winded, though. It's a bit winded. Uh, so it doesn't have to be intense. 100, 150 minutes of that per week. Um, two times a week, you should do some kind of resistance training. You could do this with so many different kinds of equipment. You and I started with bands. Right, Ted? You had, you know, not a lot of space, not a lot of equipment. You weren't going to the gym yet. You said, this is all I have. I have bands and I have a little bitty room to do them in. Great. Let's do that. So resistance training means just using your muscles against some kind of resistance. That could be bands. That could be your own body weight. That could be a, you know, gym equipment, your traditional machines, dumbbells, things like that. So twice a week, all major muscle groups. So we're talking about shoulders, arms, chest, back, legs, core, twice a week. You should be doing some kind of resistance training for all major muscle groups. Uh, so that's that's the cardio and strength um, recommendations. As we get older, we well, really, starting at age thirty, we lose about it's a, it's a big range, but three to eight percent of our muscle mass per decade starting at thirty. After sixty, that increases dramatically. So where I would put pre priority any day of the week is on strength training. If you want to start somewhere right now, I, I love them both. In the ideal week, we're getting our cardio minutes in, we're getting our strength in, we're getting some flexibility, we're doing some core work, you know, we're doing all the things. However, it, in my experience with my clients, you know, we don't have six hours a day to work out, nor do we need it. But if you're going to start somewhere and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, time is always everybody's like main excuse. I just don't have time to work out. You got to make time for things that are important to you. But if you're going to carve out some time, I would start with strength. I would, I would, I would start with some strength training. hundred percent muscle is medicine. Muscles medicine. We 
need to protect our muscle health like nobody's business, especially as we get older. You think about, you, you want to pick up your kids, your great, uh, sorry, your, your great grandkids. That's your why. Muscle is going to help you do that. Getting up and out of a chair without assistance, muscle is going to help you do that. So while cardio is important, 100%, we need to get our lungs, strengthen our lungs and our heart. Muscle is medicine. We, you know, people say we have an obesity crisis, which we do. I think we have a muscle crisis. If you look at, you know, uh, just just the elderly, you know, there's this picture of the elderly that are frail. They're bent over. They need help getting up. Like the things, that's loss of muscle. And that's a very real thing. It's called sarcopenia. It happens to all of us. It's just what happens as we age. We need to protect our muscle. So if I could say anything, I would say, get some strength training in, like prioritize the heck out of that. Yeah. For me, it's kind of weird. Um, so I, my, my journey in health has been, I didn't do anything really much until I was a little older, which most people go, Oh my gosh, I think I probably should do something now. I'm turning 30. You know, that's kind of what it was for me. And then kind of let that Mm -hmm. go a little bit. Me too. Yeah. And I was doing strength training only. And then I went to doing cardio only. And then I kind of went to a little Mm -hmm. bit of an in-between for a while, you know, and this Mm -hmm. last two years that you and I have been working together probably has been the most efficient way of getting what I needed out of my workout. And, and also the results that I'm getting with it too. It's, it's, it's a very good balance of both. It's not just, I can get all everything I need to do in a timely manner, but at the same time, I'm getting the results I was wanting to get as well. And that's part of it. Again, we're going right back to the very beginning where we started with it, it's the coach situation. All those other times I was doing it, I was doing it on my own. I probably was spending the same amount mm-hmm. of time, maybe more, mm-hmm. but I'm getting better results now because I've got a coach teaching me what I need to know, showing me where I'm having some downfalls, staying on my butt all the time about where I'm hurting. Uh, you know, that's something else, you know, because if it was left up to me, I probably would either a, just keep working through the pain or B just stop doing it all together mm-hmm. as opposed to being a work around it. And that's one of the other things I've really enjoyed having from you is to say, you know, where are you hurting? What, what kind of things are giving you some problems and let's, okay, what can we do to tweak that exercise so we can continue to keep working out, but not lose anything and not aggravate that problem any worse. And that's something that we just don't get when we're doing it all by ourselves because we just don't think about it. Yeah. I mean, certainly a, a coach um, can, can provide you all that. I just, I, I want, I want your listeners. I don't want them to be overwhelmed by all of this though, because no. that does stop people from starting exercise because now I don't want to leave people with the impression that they absolutely need a coach. Right. They need to invest the money, you know, cause it's, it's an investment. Um, they, you know, and then they, and then I just gave all those recommendations. They need to do 150 minutes of this. They need to do two times a week of this and they need to work their core and they need, and then they leave this podcast and they're like, Oh, one day I'll do that. I can't do it now. So here's what I would say. Start where you're at. Start where you're at. Are you, are, are you, you don't have to go to zero to 60. That is not how habit formation works, by the way. No. Again, I've, I'm certified in behavior change. Like, n- no, 
you're 80% more likely to install a habit long-term if you work on one at a time. So mm-hmm. we, and then that drops to like less than 5% if you're trying to do three things at a time. So uh, start where you're at, take a deep breath, start where you're at. Do you have nothing? Do you have just your body weight? Great. Perfect. Um, you know, do some, do some wall push-ups. do a few body weight squats. If you're able walk up and down your stairs. Do you like to dance? Put on some music in your house, dance it out for 10 minutes. Like start where you're at. Just move. Our bodies were designed to move. And here's the thing about just starting where you're at. Energy begets energy. Activity begets activity. These, I talked about them earlier, these feel-good chemicals, these endorphins, the serotonin, this dopamine is going to be released when you start to move your body in any way. And your brain loves that feeling. And it is going to crave that in all the best ways. And so just start where you're at. And if that means, yeah, I'm going to get a coach and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a go of this with a coach. Okay, great. But please don't be overwhelmed by all the recommendations and, oh, I need, you know, a coach just like Ted has. And, you know, we need to have monthly meetings and now I'm working out five days a week. That's what stops people in their tracks before they even get started. Just start. I promise you it will snowball. My, I did not become an ultra marathoner overnight. I walked around the block. That's how it started. So, you know, what's the saying? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. Right. Yeah. And the, the other thing I think I've heard too is kind of a story about frogs. You know, if you got to eat the frog, don't stare at it for too long. And if you got to eat two of them, eat the big one first. Um, I think it's opposite. <laughs> you should eat the small one first because, you know, <laughs> You realize I didn't die yeah. from that. Hey, this next one might not be so bad. Um, but, right. You know, yeah. And because, you know, we, we tend to, we tend to chunk things too much into getting big chunks as opposed to the small chunks of things. And you're exactly right. I heard recently as far as just to exercise, uh, uh, Andrew Huberman, um, was talking about on his podcast that one of the best things you can do for your health is after a meal is go for a walk. It will clear out all the excess uh, glucose in your bloodstream way faster than almost anything else you could do, yeah. you know, just going for a simple walk. And that's the thing that's really important yeah. is do that simple stuff. Don't worry about all the complicated things. The reason most people don't exercise, mm-hmm. don't do a lot of things or anything in life, not exercise. I mean, don't take care of the finances. Don't sleep like they're supposed to. They always want it. It has to be complicated. So something simple can't work. Um, there has to, it has to be something that's really, um, like a, I got to flip a switch. It's got to have some adrenaline factor to it. That's going to make it work right away. I got to have it right Mm. now. And I have to put numbers. What's going to be my outcome that comes out of this? What's, what's the Delta that I'm going to get by doing these particular things. If we, if we just realize, if we just keep it simple, if we just don't worry about, you know, how long it's going to take, but just take that one step. And we also realize that, you know, if we, if we just quantify things, but don't get so, I know I'm saying preaching to myself when I say this, don't get so bent up into the numbers, get bent up into the results that you're wanting to get as far as the, just like you said, the intrinsic value, I'm going to pick up my great grandchildren one day. I'm going to, um, you know, be able to just be able to, to walk around the block and not run out of breath, just walk around the block. 
those kind of things are enough to, to help you get to where you're wanting to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, just, I think again, my industry, uh, just shows all the before and afters. Right. And then they show, I mean, there's, there's programs out there and I, I think any program that you enjoy is, is that's, that's a good program, but there's programs out there that are literally named insanity, like mm-hmm. and nothing against that program. Right. I've done some of those workouts and they are insane, but <clears throat> that's what people see. And they think, Oh, exercise is hard. Exercise is a punishment. I must just beat my body into submission in order for this to work. Mm-mm, you do not. It's not sustainable. Here's, here's, here's my favorite, um, I guess, motto when it comes to exercise. Consistency over intensity. Any day of the week. Consistency over intensity. If it is not sustainable, it's not going to be successful. So if you try an insanity workout or, you know, just if it's not sustainable for you, you will not be successful because you're not, because you're not going to sustain it. Consistency over intensity wins any day of the week. You have to find something that, you know, I'd like to say that you enjoy, but I do have people that say, Lisa, I, I hate exercise. Okay. Well, do, what's your definition of exercise? When you say you hate exercise, what's your definition? So maybe you need to redefine, you know, you don't hate all movement. So find something that at least maybe challenges you a little bit, but that you enjoy. And then, and then let's just go from there. Don't worry about all the data and the statistics and their recommendations. Let's just start there. Consistency over intensity any day of the week. That is fantastic advice. Um, I have a ton of other things that I need to talk about with you, but we just don't have all that kind of time for you to spend all day with us. So I'm going to save all this because this is not the last time I'm going to let you off the hook. I'm going to have you back on again sometime in the near future so we can talk about some other things like uh, like injuries and like a lot of that stuff that gets us bogged down. But, um, you know, consistency ladies and gentlemen that's that's part of it don't make it too difficult start where you're at those are all a great piece of advice uh lisa thank you so much for being here today and i'm gonna say it just between you and me uh thank you for what you've done to help me get to some of the goals i'm going well i'm excited to be part of your story and thank you for having me today and i'd love to come back on i told you i could talk about this stuff for hours so um yeah i'd love to join you again sometime. This is a really, really important topic and I, uh, I love talking about it. So thanks for having me. My pleasure.